0: Book 2, Chapter 1 of A Voyage Towards the South Pole and Round the World, Volume 1, by James Cook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Cole. Book 2. From Our Departure from the Society Isles to Our Return to and Leaving Them the Second Time. Chapter 1. Passage from Ulitea to the Friendly Islands, with an account of the discovery of Hervey's island, and the incidents that happened at Middleburg. 1773. September. After leaving Ulitea, as before mentioned, I steered to the west, inclining to the south, to get clear of the tracts of former navigators, and to get into the latitude of the islands of Middleborough and Amsterdam for I intended to run as far west as these islands, and to touch there if I found it convenient, before I hauled up for New Zealand. I generally lay to every night, lest we might pass any land in the dark. Part of the twenty-first and twenty-second the wind blew from north-west, attended with thunder, lightning, and rain, having a large swell from south-south-east and south, which kept up for several days. An indication that no land was near us in that direction. On the twenty-third at ten o'clock in the morning, land was seen from the topmast head, and at noon from the deck, extending from south by west to southwest by south. We hauled up for it with a wind at south and found it to consist of two or three small islets, connected together by breakers like most of the low isles in the sea lying in a triangular form, and about six leagues in circuit. These were clothed with wood, among which were many coconut trees. We saw no people or signs of inhabitants, and had reason to think there were none. The situation this isle, which is in the latitude of 19 degrees 18 minutes south, longitude 158 degrees 54 minutes west, is not very different from that assigned by Mr. Dalrymple, to La Dezena, but as this is a point not easily determined, I named it Hervey's Island, in honour of the Honourable Captain Hervey of the Navy, one of the Lords of the Admiralty, and afterwards Earl of Bristol. As the landing on this isle, if practicable, would have caused a delay which I could ill spare at this time, we resumed our course to the west, And on the twenty fifth we again began to use our sea-biscuits the fruit which had served as succadanaemum being all but consumed but our stock of fresh pork still continued each man having as much every day as was needful in our route to the west we now and then saw men-of-war and tropic birds and a small sea-bird which is seldom seen but near the shores of the isles we therefore conjectured That we had passed some land at no great distance. As we advanced to the west, the variation of the compass gradually increased, so that on the twenty-ninth, being in the latitude of twenty-one degrees twenty-six minutes south, longitude one seventy degrees forty minutes west, it was ten degrees forty-five minutes east. 1773 October. At two o'clock p.m. on the first of October, we made the island of Middleburg, bearing west-south-west. At six o'clock it extended from south-west by west to north-west, distant four leagues, at which time another land was seen in the direction of north-north-west. The wind being at south-south-east, I hauled to the south in order to get round the south end of the island before the morning. But at eight o'clock a small island was seen lying off it and not knowing but that they might be connected by a reef, the extent of which we must be ignorant of, I resolved to spend the night where we were. At daybreak the next morning we bore off for the south-west side of Middleburg, passing between it and the little isle above mentioned, where we found a clear channel two miles broad. After ranging the south-west side of the greater isle to about two-thirds of its length, at a distance of half a mile from the shore, without seeing the least prospect of either anchorage or landing-place, we bore away for Amsterdam, which we had in sight. We had scarcely turned our sails before we observed the shores of Middleburg, to assume another aspect, seeming to offer both anchorage and landing. Upon this we hauled the wind, and plied in under the island in the meantime two canoes each conducted by two or three men came boldly alongside and some of them entered the ship without hesitation this mark of confidence gave me a good opinion of these islanders and determined me to visit them if possible after making a few trips we found good anchorage and came to in twenty-five fathoms water and gravel bottom at three cables length from the shore the highest land on the island bore south-east by east, the north point north-east half-east, and the west south-by-west a half-west, and the island of Amsterdam extending from north-by-west to half-west to north-west a half-west. We had scarcely got to an anchor before we were surrounded by a great number of canoes full of people, who had brought with them cloth and other curiosities, which they exchanged for nails, etc., Several came on board, among them was one whom, by the authority he seemed to have over the others, I found was a chief, and accordingly made him a present of a hatchet, spike-nails, and several other articles, with which he was highly pleased. Thus I obtained the friendship of this chief, whose name was Ti'uni. Soon after a party of us embarked in two boats, in company with Ti'uni, who conducted us to a little creek formed by the rocks, right abreast of the ships, where landing was extremely easy, and the boat secure against the surf. Here we found an immense crowd of people, who welcomed us on shore with loud acclamations. Not one of them had so much as a stick or any other weapon in their hands, an indubitable sign of their pacific intentions. They thronged so thick round the boats with cloth, matting, etc., to exchange for nails, that it was some time before we could get room to land. They seemed to be more as desirous to give than receive, for many who could not get near the boats threw into them, over the others' heads, whole bales of cloth, and then retired without either asking or waiting for anything in return. At length the chief caused them to open to the right and left, and make room for us to land. He then conducted us up to his house, which was situated about three hundred yards from the sea, at the head of a fine lawn, and under the shade of some shaddock trees. The situation was most delightful. In front was the sea, and the ships at anchor. Behind and on each side were plantations, in which were some of the richest productions of nature. The floor was laid with mats, on which we were seated, and the people seated themselves in a circle round us on the outside. Having the backpipes with us, I ordered them to be played, and in return the chief directed three young women to sing a song, which they did with a very good grace. And having made each of them a present, this immediately set all the women in the circle a-singing. Their songs were musical and harmonious, and no wise harsh or disagreeable. After sitting here some time we were, at our own request, conducted into one of the adjoining plantations, where the chief had another house, into which we were introduced. Bananos and coconuts were set before us to eat, and a bowl of liquor prepared in our presence of the juice of Iava for us to drink. Pieces of the root were first offered to us to chew, but as we excused ourselves from assisting in the operation, this was performed by others. When sufficiently chewed, it was put into a large wooden bowl, then mixed with water, in the manner already related, and as soon as it was properly strained for drinking, they made cups by folding of green leaves, which held near half a pint and presented it to each of us one of these filled with the liquor, but I was the only one who tasted it. The manner of brewing it having quenched the thirst of every one else. The bowl was however soon emptied of its contents, of which both men and women partook. I observed that they never filled the same cup twice, nor did two persons drink out of the same. each had a fresh cup and fresh liquor. This house was seated at one corner of the plantation, and had an area before it on which we were seated. The whole was planted round with fruit and other trees, whose spreading branches afforded an agreeable shade, and whose fragrance diffused a pleasing odour through the air. Before we had well viewed the plantation it was noon, and we returned on board to dinner, with the chief in our company. He sat at table, but ate nothing, which, as we had fresh pork roasted, was a little extraordinary. After dinner we landed again, and were received by the crowd as before. Mr. Forster with his botanic party, and some of the officers and gentlemen walked into the country. Captain Furneaux and myself were conducted to the chief's house, where fruit and some greens, which had been stewed, were set before us to eat. As we had but just dined, It cannot be supposed we ate much, but Oedidi and Omai, the man on board the adventure, did honour to the feast. After this we signified our desire of seeing the country. Ti'uni very readily assented, and conducted us through several plantations, which were laid out with great judgment, and enclosed with very neat fences made of reeds. They were all in very good order and well planted with various fruit-trees, roots, etc. The chief took some pains to let us know that most of them belonged to himself. Near some of the houses and in the lanes that divided the plantations were running about some hogs and very large fowls, which were the only domestic animals we saw, and these they did not seem willing to part with, nor did any one, during the whole day, offer in exchange any fruit or roots worth mentioning, which determined me to leave this island and to visit that of Amsterdam. The evening brought every one on board, highly delighted with the country and the very obliging behaviour of the inhabitants, who seemed to vie with each other in doing what they thought would give us pleasure. The ships were crowded with people the whole day trafficking with those on board, in which the greatest good order was observed and I was sorry that the season of the year would not admit of my making a longer stay with them. Early the next morning, while the ships were getting under sail, I went on shore with Captain Furnow and Mr. Forster to take leave of the chief. He met us at the landing-place and would have conducted us to his house had we not excused ourselves. We therefore were seated on the grass where we spent about half an hour in the midst of a vast crowd of people. After making the chief a present, consisting of various articles and an assortment of garden seeds, I gave him to understand that we were going away, at which he seemed not at all moved. He and two or three more came into our boat in order to accompany us on board, but seeing the resolution under sail, he called to a canoe to put alongside, Into which he and his friends went and returned on shore. While he remained in our boat, he continued to exchange fish hooks for nails, and engrossed the trade in a manner wholly to himself, but when on shore I never saw him make the least exchange End of Book two chapter one Recording by David Cole Medway, Massachusetts